I just love that for all the wrong reasons. I'm sorry to put you through that. I just, it's just not Christmas for me without Henrietta and Myrna. And uh, I, I play them today because uh, today we are going to talk about, and, and Advent traditionally talks about, like Advent is a season of waiting, season of expectation, season of being, uh, it's, it's the same experience of being nine months pregnant. And, and in churches, Advent is, uh, we even have our candles up here going today, like Advent is, has been celebrated the three comings of Jesus. The three comings. And last week we talked about the coming of the newborn king, the, the first coming of Jesus. Next week we'll talk about the coming of Jesus in our hearts daily. And today we're actually going to talk about the second coming of Jesus. And uh, the truth is, like, nothing makes me want Jesus to come more than listening to Henrietta and Myrna sing. <laughs> Maybe you feel that same way. So today I want to I want to talk about second coming, and and I know maybe this doesn't feel like the most Christmassy uh, uh, teaching you you've you've ever heard, and I'm okay with that, um, because we need to talk about the second coming. We need to talk about the coming of Jesus. We need to talk about the return of the King. Like like when was the last time you really devoted like any serious like like thought or time or conversation to the return of Jesus? I mean, look at all of the time and effort we put in to celebrate his birth, but, but what about his return? Did you know that, that every writing of the New Testament we have, with, with maybe the exception of 3 John, talks specifically about the return of Jesus? Even the season of the church, the season of Advent, the church calendar begins talking about, leaning into, waiting on, expecting the birth of Jesus for him to come daily in our lives, but also looking forward to his return. It's an important idea. It's one of the reasons I, I really love the season of Advent. And, and if you look in uh, Matthew chapter 24, which I know is not a normal Christmassy passage, Jesus himself, if you remember, is the fulfillment of prophecy. That's one of Matthew's go goals is to show that Jesus is the newborn king. But Jesus, the fulfillment of prophecy in Matthew chapter 24, makes a prophecy of his own. And I have to give you a disclaimer. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 is not a normal Christmas passage. Uh, it is in a style of writing that is, is uh, eschatological. It's apocalyptic. Uh, if I read it to you and didn't tell you where it was coming from, you would probably say, oh, this is from the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a different style of writing. It's, a, it's for a different purpose. And, and frankly, it's just not something we're very comfortable with or, or familiar with. And it is going to, Jesus himself is going to talk about his return in incredibly graphic, figurative language. In a style we're not familiar with, he's going to talk about the end of the world. All right, you ready for this? Can you handle it? All right, I just want to skim through. I'm not going to I'm not going to read you verse by verse, but I want to skim through uh, Matthew chapter 24. 
It begins with Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem and they look at uh, Herod's temple, this awesome, amazing temple. We've talked a lot about it. It's covered in marble and gold from a distance. It's from a distance. It looks like a snow peaked mountain. It's this incredible wonder of the world. And the disciples and Jesus are walking through or, or by the temple going, oh, just look at this place. It is amazing. And Jesus says, you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. In verse 3 of chapter 24, the disciples, uh, it says, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when. When? When is this going to happen? And what sign will signal your return and the, what are those words? End of the world. And Jesus is like, well, you asked. And he begins this whole discourse that says, uh, he says, nations will go at war with nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. If you read a little bit further, he says, there'll be famines and earthquakes. In verse 8, it says, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. He says, you will be arrested and persecuted and hated, and many will turn from me and hate each other. There'll be, there'll be false prophets and, uh, that will appear to deceive people. He says, sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. And he says in verse 15, he talks about Daniel's prophecy will come true, which is about this sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. In verse 16, it says, those in Judea must flee to the hills and a person on a roof must not go down to even pack and a person in a field must not return home to get his coat. There'll be greater anguish, verse 21, greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And he says, unless this calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. In verses 23 through 28, he says, also during this time, there will be false messiahs that will rise up to, to deceive God's chosen ones. And then verse 28, remember graphic, figurative, apocalyptic language. Verse 28, it says, just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. In verse 29, he says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers and the heavens will be shaken. In verse 30, he goes on to say, and then, at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep, what? Among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. If you fast forward a little bit in Matthew, this is, this is exactly what Jesus tells Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin about the future. He'll send out his angels with mighty blasts of the trumpet to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth. And then in verse 32 and 33, he talks about the fig tree. He says, like buds on the branches, when you see these things, you can know the return is very near, right at the door. He says even there will be some in this generation will, that won't, won't pass away until these things take place. And then verse 36, 
however, and this is a big however, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. In the last few verses, he says, Jesus' return will be sudden. He says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. This is not like a bright, shiny Christmas story, right? People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came. And then in verse 42, kind of everything sums up to verses 42 and 44. He says, verse 42, it says, so you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Merry Christmas. Right? <laughs> Sorry, man, I'm just ruining everything. Like, I cannot read this part of, uh, this part of Matthew without uh, singing the REM song. You know which one I'm talking about? It's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> like, like that's, what it, that's what it feels like. like. Like, no wonder we don't talk about the second coming you know, like, let's talk about the baby Jesus in the manger. That's way more comfortable. So what do we know about the return of the king? And, and, and why is this important for us to talk about in Advent? So, <laughs> um, the, the first thing to say maybe is that there's lots in chapter 24 that I don't know. Like, uh, this is tough stuff. Like, this is the deep parts of Scripture. One of the things I love about Aspen Grove is, like, man, if Scripture goes there, we go there, and Jesus went there, so here we are. Now, what do we do with all of this? Part of it is this, this graphic, uh, apocalyptic language. Uh, it even breaks in, in chapter 24, in verse 15, the, the author breaks in and says, hey, reader, pay attention to this part. Like, like there, there is something like in this language that is kind of like grab you by the, your kid are misbehaving, you just kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's part of what this is about. Like it just grabs you by the collar. And, and it's hard to say, like, like, is he being literal or figurative? Uh, scholars are all over the place. Some have said, well, these things have already happened. And some are saying these things are still yet to happen. And, and they, they argue about uh, the stars falling. And it's got like, like is, is he trying to scare us to death? Like, is this the scare tactic of the Bible? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to scare you straight. You know, is that what's happening with earthquakes and you know, sin running rampant. Like, like, is he just trying to frighten us? And and I and I have a comment to that. At least is is like I think I think Jesus and Scripture uses apocalyptic, eschatological, end of the world language. I, I don't think it's it's necessarily to frighten us, but because he is frightened for us. Are you with me? So I've used the example before of the three year old in the Walmart parking lot. Right? When, as soon as that three-year-old lets go of your hand and takes off, what's the reaction in your heart? Like your heart is pumping. Your heart, your heart sees the danger and knows the danger, and you react because you see and know the danger, but the three-year-old doesn't see it, right? And I wonder if this style is, is not to frighten us, but because he sees, like, he sees the danger that we don't see. He's frightened for us. And in all the language of, it, it, it all really points to one thing. Like, people ask me all the time if, you know, if I say, well, what would you like me to, to teach on next? People always say the same thing. They always say, 
revelation. You know, it's like, and you have to say, I like the boogeyman, like revelation. You know, like, like, like revelation is super easy book. It means victory. That's it. But we, you know, we love to get so wrapped up and entangled in all that, you know what I'm saying? Well, what does that mean? It means victory. You take all of that language, all of that graphic figurative stuff, and it means that in the end, God wins. That's what revelation means there. I just, that, we don't even have to do it. Like, I, you got it. If you know revelation means victory, then you're, you were there. And in the same way, Matthew 24, like we can kind of get wrapped up in all this kind of stuff, but, but the message, the point is, and don't miss this, it's the point of Advent, and it is the point that the king is coming. And that's worthy of our time. It's worthy of our attention. And in chapter 24, verse 3, the disciples start this whole thing off. Like, right, it's their, it's their fault that Jesus went there. Because the disciples say, when is this going to happen? And, and, and how will we know it's happening? What, can, you, can you give us a sign, a hint, a clue? And that's what gets us started. I think their, their questions are appropriate. And, and if, if, if you don't know that what Advent means, like, like Advent like is embodied in their questions. When and what sign, right? These are forward-looking questions of anticipating questions. So let's, uh, let's dive into when and what sign a little bit. Um, the truth is that every generation thinks they've figured out the signs, Right? Like, like we probably have people today that said, I've, I've studied Matthew 24. I've lined it out. Here's when this happened. Here's when this is going to happen. Like, like every generation has said, this is the worst it's ever been, right? It's the end of the world as we know it. Like, the, uh, uh, like for example, for the Jews, it was the destruction of the temple. Now, when Jesus spoke these words, the, the temple hadn't been destroyed yet. But by the time Matthew pins these words, the great temple that Jesus references has been completely destroyed. And, and worse than that, like, like I mean, that's a, that's a huge deal. But it, for, in the Jewish mind, that's the worst possible thing that could have happened. And in the destruction of the temple, more than a million Jews are killed, right? So they probably, at least some of them walked around going, oh man, this is it, right? This is the moment. Like, like, like they no doubt. But people said that during the Civil War and the, the Second Great War. And, it, and I love that, like, Scripture kind of teases us a little bit. And, and he says, well, you see the fig tree start to bloom, and, and you know spring is coming. And he says, it's, it's the same way with the signs. These signs will let you know the end is near. And if you can just predict the change in the seasons, you should potentially at least also be able to predict the return of the Son of Man. Right? How many weathermen are actually really good at predicting the weather? You know, I think we were talking about this with a worship team. You know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, guaranteed to have no snow is when Davidson County closes school for a snow day. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, we're horrible at predicting this. We're horrible at predicting. And I think he's kind of poking fun at our ability to predict things and, and forecast things. Because he goes on the very next verse and says, he says, however, 
No one knows when this day will come, not even Jesus himself. And the message for us about, about when and signs and all that kind of stuff, like, like it happens even around here sometimes. Sometimes even around here, I know we live in the Bible Belt, but sometimes around here we have people that raise themselves up or at least claim to be prophets who know something that's going to happen, right? And, and here's what I would say. And, and I think part of Jesus' message in this, even though he says, well, just look at the fig tree. I think the message is it's incredibly easy to get the signs wrong. That's what I think. And there's only one sign we should look for. There's only one sign you can really trust. Remember how the Magi knew the, the newborn king was born? Remember? What was the sign? Yeah, it was a star in the sky, and they followed the star. There he was. They found him. But in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, hey, the sun's going to go dark. The moon's going to go dark. All the stars in the sky are going to fall, and there'll be one sign, and that sign, at least I think, is going to be Jesus in the sky. And Scripture talks about this moment. In that moment, what's going to happen? Every knee will, and every tongue so he says, hey, there's going to be a moment, and uh, when that moment comes, you're all going to know it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Is that fair? Like when this thing happens, and, and the whole Advent, even Scripture, looks forward to this moment. When the moment happens, everyone's going to know the moment is the moment. No one's going to go, ah, you know, I don't know. Is that really Jesus? No, no, like, like we're all going to know. So, there is a moment we'll all know. In the meantime, it's not our duty to predict or forecast or try to speculate the return of the king. Are you with me? All right, so it's not our duty to try to guess when this is going to happen. But if you look carefully in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus does give us duties. He, give, he gives us things to do in the meantime. Don't waste your time trying to guess. Instead, the first thing he says is to endure. Look what it says in verse 13. But the one who, what's that word? All right, so there was a moment of Christ's birth. There will be a moment of Christ's return somewhere over here. And where are we? We're somewhere in between. Fair? And what do we do in that in-between time? The first thing we do is endure. Now, this is more difficult than it sounds. Because if you read the language of this, like it's, it's, this, this is tough stuff. He said there'll be, there'll be threats to your life and safety your, your, your wealth and your reputation. Some of you right now are facing some incredibly difficult things. Sometimes it comes out of the blue and, and in this in-between space between his birth and his return, like, like, like there is tough stuff that is going to happen. Maybe it begins with the letter C the word cancer. 
Have you ever had something just jump up and hit you out of nowhere, totally unexpected? Jesus seems to be warning us. Hey, he says, hey, in that space between, there's, there's going to be stuff that happens. There's going to be stuff that comes. And, and he says, I want you to endure in times of struggle, in times of difficulty. I want you to hold on. Because John 16, 33 says, he says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Hold on in times of struggle. Hold on to each other, but mostly hold on to this moment out here, right? This yet to come moment. Everything that happens in this space between his birth and his return, uh, I want you to, don't miss this, everything between his birth and his return is temporary. It is. The good, the bad, it's all temporary. And we're to hold on to a future hope, hold on to Advent, his Return and I want to say this last thing about as you endure. Endurance isn't it doesn't have anything to do with your strength. Like scriptural Christian endurance has everything to do with us clinging to God's strength and not our own. Are you with me? So he's not saying, man, I just want you in your own strength and your own power and your own willfulness and your own pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Hang on. No, no, I don't want you to hang on to, to your strength. Your strength is weak and fleeting, but we endure by clinging to the promises of God. We, we endure by clinging to him. And as long as we operate out of our own strength, we're always going to be tired and exhausted. Like, like it's just not enough. Relying on ourselves is scarcity. And instead, we are called to rely on his abundance. Are you with me? And that's what Christian endurance looks like. It's clinging to God for everything. So in the space in between, we're not to speculate, we're not to guess, we're not to forecast, we're in to endure, and then number two, we're to obey. Look what he says at the very end of this discourse. He, he teaches in parables. In, in Matthew, Jesus kind of gives a teaching and then he gives a parable to explain it, and he tells this parable in Matthew chapter 24, verses uh, 45 through 51. I think I have it on the screen. I don't have it on the screen. Awesome. That's what these things are for. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, the end of this like discourse, he says a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. And he says, if the master returns and find that the servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. And I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. It says the master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see that, that in this space between 
while he is gone, there is still work for us to do. In 1 Peter, in in chapter 1, verse uh, 14, it says this. It says, so you must live as God's, what's that word? In the space between. In the space between, you don't have, it's it's not an excuse just to party and to get drunk and to beat your servants. Like, that's what he says. So you must live as God's obedient children. He says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Go to verse 13. He says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world, right? In 1 Peter, in chapter 2, he says, For God called you to do good, even if that means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. I love in Advent, the season of waiting, like, like when we Advent, when we wait on God, God works. But also, while we wait, we are to work. We are to work. This week uh, at the GraceWorks manger, your staff from Aspen Grove, we went and served at the manger. 130 families came through and got gifts for their, for their families for Christmas. 130. They all live here in Williamson County. Like we have work to do, works of goodness to do, works that honor the master who will return. So we don't forecast, we don't predict, we endure, we obey, and then finally we anticipate. So a movie came out this week. You guys know this? All right, I got a picture for you. Show that image. This is the line of people camping out for the new Star Wars movie, right? And it says, I don't know if you can read in the back, it says, the line awakens. (laughs) Well, that's funny. But next to it, like, you see that sign? It says eight days to go. These people are camping out on the side. Some of you are like, oh, I totally do that. Some of you may be in this picture. Like, eight days. They camped out, at least eight days, camped out on the sidewalk to advent this movie. Are you with me? Like, they are filled with anticipation. Jesus says, Matthew 24, he said, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like Noah's day. You guys remember this story? Noah's working away. You know, animals are showing up like this is, you know what I'm saying? Like, and all the people think Noah is crazy because he's what? He's looking forward to some event. He's anticipating. He's getting ready. He's enduring and being obedient at the same time. And, and he says, this is what it's going to be like. Like, people are going to be enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up, time, right up to the time Noah entered the boat. Like, like, even in Luke 17, verse 30, it says, yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And Jesus says, be ready. There is this pulse in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, of readiness. There's this pulse of, of waiting. And we hate that. 
I hate it. Do you guys like waiting? If you, if you enjoy it, Mallory Lane is right out there. Just go. <laughs> like it's calling you. No, we, we hate waiting. Like because, because waiting confronts something in us, if, if we're honest. Waiting confronts our, our, our priorities and our sense of self. Like, like it's an affront to our desire to control and coordinate everything. Like, like waiting, frankly, interrupts our plans. You see this? But there's something that I, I think God wants in that. Like, like in the waiting, in us adventing, he doesn't want us comfortable, but he wants us instead on the edge of our seat. Advent is disruptive. It is supposed to disrupt your day, disrupt your, your, your sequence, disrupt your order, your outline, your schedule. And Advent, this, this waiting disrupts our preoccupation with this world. All right, so I, I, I kind of, I love animals, but I hate going to the zoo. And I explained this to somebody not, not long ago. They said, well, why don't you like going to the zoo? And I, and I said, well, you know, part of, the, part of it is that I've been in Africa. I've been in wild game parks where animals are actually in the wild. And, by, you know, I've been in a Land Rover. And we chased a hippo. And, you know, like, like um, so when you go to the zoo, like, everything is, like, super sanitized and sterilized. And, and here you are, and, and you see these animals in cages and, and, and in pens and, um, or their enclosures. You know, and I'm sure there's great reasons for this. You know, like, like I'm sure there's, you know, it's all about breeding or captivity or medicine or education. Like, like, like I get it, but, like, like what makes me sad is that, um, and here's the truth. I've seen elephants in the wild in Africa, and the ones we have here in zoos don't look anything like each other. They don't act alike. They don't look alike. It, it is, it is, it's, it's the same size and shape, but it's not the same at all. Because, like, like what makes me sad is that the, the, the cage can become their whole world. Creatures that were born to be free and ha- have adapted to in the enclosures they live in, they've, they've become so accustomed to it. Like, uh, and man, maybe this is gonna hurt your feelings. Like, I think the, a bird cage is about the meanest thing you could do to a bird. You, you kind of get my thinking here? Like, you, you, this thing that was born with the gift of flight <laughs> the superpower. And we've contained it. And the worst is that, like, like that cage becomes their whole world, becomes their whole reality. And, and I think Advent, if it has a purpose, it's to, to waken something up in us. Something that, that, you know, remember what I said, we're in between that place of Christ's birth and his return, and sometimes we can get way too content with this space. It wakens something up in us beyond the borders and boundaries of this world, beyond the boundary of flesh and blood. We used to sing this old church song that, that embodied this idea. The line of the song went like this, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. That's an Advent song, right? looking for a way to, looking, expecting something else. And, and, and my question for you and, and for us is, is that you? Is that you? 
I love the, the old fable about the three apprentice devils. Three apprentice devils uh, were coming to this earth to, to finish their apprenticeships. And they were talking to Satan, the, the chief of the devils, about their plans to tempt and ruin men and women. The first said, I will tell them there is no God. And Satan said, that will not delude many, for they know that there is a God. The second apprentice devil said, I will tell them there is no hell. Satan answered, you will deceive no one that way. They know even now that there is a hell for sin. And the third apprentice devil said, I will tell them there is no hurry. Go, said Satan, and you will ruin them by the thousands. Maybe the most dangerous delusion of this in-between space is that there is plenty of time. The most dangerous day of our lives is, is maybe the day we, we learn about tomorrow. Don't get so enamored with the things of this life that you miss the one to come. So in chapter 24, verse 42, Jesus says, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. In verse 44, he goes on, he says, you also must be ready all the time for the son of man will come when least expected. We sing the song every Christmas, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. When's the last time you sang that song and really meant it? When was the last time you prayed, Your kingdom come, and longed for it and yearned for it? My concern is that if Jesus showed up on Christmas morning instead of Santa, that we might be disappointed. Are you with me? 1 Corinthians 15 says, man, these are penetrating words for Advent. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be what? Pitied than anyone in the world. Do you see why Jesus uses graphic, apocalyptic, gut-wrenching language? You see why this is so important? He's trying to get, get through to us the message that this thing isn't all she wrote. Don't get too comfortable. There is more yet to come. There is an event in our future to which all, the, the whole of creation moves. At some point, the ultimate authority power is going to return. At some point, God is going to intervene in, in a, a way that brings things to completion. There is a final chapter to this thing, and Jesus knows the tremendous gravity of that day and wants us to grasp it. Now, you want to know some good news? The good news is that for us, it's not a day of fear, but a day of rejoicing. 
In 1 Timothy, it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. If anything, the New Testament points to a God who is holding this day back so that everyone, everyone could believe in Jesus Christ and experience life in him. The good news is that God has not abandoned you, but instead, through Jesus, through his birth that we celebrate, through Christmas, he has extended his hand to all mankind and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Man, I I want us to celebrate Christmas and Christ's birth, but I want us to remember also there will be a return When we least expect it, Jesus Christ, the one with authority and power to bring all things to completion, to fulfill God's deepest desire to return us to him, will come again. There is a kingdom come, and it's incredibly good news. So the invitation today, in the best Christmas sermon you've ever heard, is to endure is to obey and to live each day in anticipation of the return of the king. Let's pray together and then I'll give you some instructions for communion. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and its power. It's the conviction that that exists there. Father God, sometimes, frankly, we just don't know what to do with this and and. Uh, it, it's easier to focus on other teachings and other pas- passages that are, that are more comfortable for us. But Father God, let us, let us be faithful to, to your son, to his word, to his teaching. Father God, if, if we've become too content with this place, dis- disrupt us today. Use this season of Advent to awaken us again. Not to a life that's, that's temporary, but to a life that is eternal. A life that is open and available to each and every one of us through the love and sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Father God, help us to advent your return. To long for it and look for it with expectation and anticipation. Father God, we love you. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says...